This podcast is brought to you by Ancestors. Ancestors is the UK's largest bleach-free, plastic-free and gynaecology-approved period care brand. From 100% organic cotton tampons, pads and liners to reusable period pants and period cups, Ancestors has got you covered. There's no nasties here. Period. Check out our range at Ancestors.com. Welcome to Sisterhood, the podcast. Firstly, I'd like to caveat that when I refer to the word woman in these podcasts, this is referring to anyone assigned female at birth. I want the trans and non-cis community to be included and represented in all conversations discussed in this podcast. Our guest today is slightly different to my other guests and somewhat perhaps more personal in that she's actually a friend of mine. And the nature of our friendship is really the basis of the topic for this week's episode. Becoming a new mum and finding your people or tribe can be a scary and daunting prospect, especially if you don't have friends or family members expecting at the same time. Some join NCT or bump and baby classes, some are introduced by friends and so on. But for others like Emma and myself, we use a slightly unconventional way of meeting each other in that we met through the app Peanut. For those of you listening who have never heard of this app, Founded by trailblazer Michelle Kennedy shortly after she left Bumble, Peanut is like Tinder or Bumble, but it's dating to make friends as opposed to finding a partner. It was created as a safe space for women to connect with like-minded women, whether you're navigating fertility, pregnancy, motherhood, or menopause. Emma and I connected on the app when we were both pregnant. Initially, our baby's due dates were seven weeks apart, but Emma's little one was born three weeks early and mine almost two weeks late. So our baby boys... Yes, they're both boys, are actually just over two weeks apart in age and born at the very same hospital. I asked Emma to join us this week because I think it's so important to be open about the change we will make from pre to post baby within ourselves and within our intimate circles. And of course, that big topic of matrescence. This week, Emma is in the hot seat and I'm asking her all about this change for her, finding out a little bit about her background, her birth story, the present day and beyond into the future too. So welcome, Emma. Thank you for being with us today today. Thanks. Would you like to introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about your baby boy too. Sure. So I am 32, have one son. I work in insurance when I'm not being a mummy. I'm half Croatian. So I speak to my son mainly in Croatian uh, rather than English. My son is now 13 months old, nearly 14 months, and it's absolutely flown by. So just to kind of go back, you said you have one son. Uh, you're also an only child. So I'd love to to find out a little bit more about your upbringing and the relationship that you had with your parents and extended family members. So I'm an only child and I actually had no problems with being an only child growing up. I never felt like I was missing out on anything. I think I actually quite enjoyed being an only child. I was probably very spoiled by my parents, but... I actually have always wanted more than one child. And probably before having my son, I didn't really put too much thought into it um, as to why I wanted more than one child, seeing as I'm an only child. Since having him, I think I can see the benefits of having siblings and having a larger family and the bond that siblings have with one another and also with their parents. It's something I would like in the future to have um, more than one child so that my son has that sort of best friend that's that bigger sort of family but um you never know and actually as I had a really good childhood growing up I'm sure he would be fine being on his own and you mentioned you're half Croatian so tell me a little bit about Croatian families and to sort of the best of your knowledge what you know about kind of how how it may differ to 
for example, your husband's upbringing? Yeah, so we have extremely different family setups. Uh, I'm the only one in my family, only child. My husband has three siblings, so they have a very big and very rowdy family. They also have 15 first cousins on that side. So wow. you know, when the family gets together, it's, it's a big, big occasion. When I first met his family, um, when we started dating, I think I was really overwhelmed because growing up, obviously, it was just me, my mom and dad, which it comes with its own tensions, I think. You know, when there's only three people in an environment or if there is disagreement or sort of difference of opinions I think it's sometimes easier to have more family members around to diffuse that tension it's much a more intense environment I think than if there are more family members around in Croatia I think it's probably more common that people have bigger families so I think we aren't typical of the Croatian culture and lifestyle but when I do go over there I have quite a large extended family. Now, they might not be first cousins, but I have really good relationships with my second and my third cousins. So I think that's actually quite different to how we in the UK operate. I think people might know their first cousins, but beyond that, people don't seem to have as close a relationship and they might not even know who their second cousins are. In Croatia, it's very common for second cousins, third cousins, you know, everyone to know each other. Yeah, definitely. I think you're so right. For me, for example, I don't know who my second and third cousins are and I, I've i never had any type of relationship with them that I know of. So you mentioned at the beginning about your son, Ivo. So I'd love to hear if you wouldn't mind sharing your kind of journey into motherhood and whether you experienced any challenges or whether it was smooth sailing. So I always wanted children and my husband always wanted children. We were aligned on the fact that we'd like to get married and then start having um, a family. But also I had the added anxiety of the fact that I have polycystic ovaries. And um, I actually didn't know that I had them until a few months before we got married because um, I had been on the pill for the majority of my sort of adult life. I had the one where um, it delays your period. So they were irregular because of that anyway. And so I just didn't know that I had polycystic ovaries. I'd never had some symptoms. So yeah, I didn't know until I came off the pill and then realized that my cycles were very irregular. I worked that out because obviously timing, but also I use natural cycles to monitor my cycles. Um, and originally I had started natural cycles as a form um, of planning pregnancy. So yes, I found that out and that really shook me actually. I was really upset about it. I'm probably quite a negative person anyway. Um, I'm sort of a half glass full, uh, empty rather than half full. <laughs> I thought that was the end and that there's no way I'm going to have children. Things are going to be really difficult. We'll be trying and trying forever. Really negative view. And my husband really had to tell me to pull myself together and just sort of remain positive and, you know, things would work out. And he was right. It really helped to just not think about it, put it at the back of my mind, continue to enjoy married life, life in general, and just try not to worry. Definitely. And in terms of the, the polycystic ovaries, the, the PCOS, what was your kind of path to diagnosis with that? So I realised that my cycles were very irregular. And whilst I think that is quite common coming off the pill, 
Um, it had been going on for a good few months and I knew in myself that something wasn't right. So I went to the doctor and they did a examination and immediately you can see it's for people who, are, who don't know or haven't done it. It's an internal ultrasound. It's um, something that you get actually when you're early pregnancy as well. But anyway, it's an internal ultrasound and you can see the ovaries um, through the ultrasound and you can see the polycystic sacs on the ovaries so he immediately diagnosed that and actually he was super positive about it he said it doesn't mean anything other than you might have fewer options trying in the end so don't worry about it I think that's it's a positive experience yeah I, you know within the NHS and especially in this podcast we kind of discuss relationship with different touch points in the NHS and there's a you know really big array of opinions and experience but it's good that 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 overall sounds like a positive experience and you were kind of offered yeah advice support and sort of further information if required with regards to things like fertility. I mentioned at the beginning that our baby boys are only two weeks apart, but originally they might have been a bit further apart in age because your son was quite early. Bit of a surprise. (laughs) Big surprise. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that. So just going back to sort of how we how I ended up getting pregnant after what I thought was a terrible diagnosis. We were really, really lucky. And, you know, I can't make stars. We were really lucky. It happened quite quickly after we decided to start trying. As a result, our son was due mid-summer, which was uh, much to my husband's disappointment <laughs> <laughs> because he really wants, he really wanted a, um, a sort of September, December baby just so that um, he wasn't the smallest playing rugby at school. <laughs> Unfortunately. Great reasoning. That's not what happened. He was due mid-August. Actually, my pregnancy was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. There are bits probably that I didn't like, but that's been erased from my memory. uh, Always the way. A lot of people find with motherhood, you you forget the bad bits and you remember the good bits. But during my pregnancy, I was still working, had decided to take my maternity, including leave, from about two weeks before my due date. Because all my friends, they were going 40 plus weeks. And I thought... 100% 100% I'll do that as well. There's no reason why I wouldn't. Anyway, so still at work, 36 plus six days, 36 weeks and six days. And my water's broke at work, really unexpectedly at the printer whilst I was printing my birth plan. <laughs> so that was a surprise. I rang my husband who miraculously answers. He usually never answers. Uh, and he obviously knew. <laughs> <laughs> that was the start of the birth of my son. Basically, I had to go to hospital because... 36 plus 6 is still deemed to be premature. 37 is fine. So I was five hours before that cutoff. I think had my waters broken at 37 weeks, I'd have been sent home and um, told to wait for labour because I was sort of five hours before that I had to go in. Mm -hmm. So I went and was admitted to the labour ward, which was completely not what I wanted. I was very of the mind, you know, I'll have him at home if I could, you know, maternity, led ward, max, no drugs, anything like that. That was my mindset. So I was admitted to the labour ward because of the date and had to stay overnight. And the midwives said, or the doc, I think it was a doctor that said only, now this might not be right, but he said that only 10% of people will go to natural labour after their waters break, which I actually didn't know. So they all expected that the next day would have to be induced, which also I was really hoping not to be. Overnight, my husband was sent home. My labour really kicked in and I didn't know what to expect really 
I mean, you get told, I mean, we did ACT classes, which were really helpful and everything, but you don't know what it, what it feels like until you're actually in it. And I was timing my contractions. And I could see that they were sort of really ramping up, you know, one minute, two minute, that kind of thing. I was telling the midwives, you know, guys, something's happening here. It's uh, something's happening. Definitely there's movement. And they they were like, oh, no, we'll tell you when you're going into labor, when you're really in labor. You seem fine. You can talk. You're fine. You're fine. You can talk. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I stayed on the ward with poor, poor sort of three poor women who were nowhere near being in labour, listening to me moaning and groaning <laughs> through the contractions. And, uh, yeah, made it through the night on my own. My husband came back the next morning and I hadn't messaged him at all during that time um, to say that anything had happened. So he came back and was, I think, in shock to see that I was in sort of quite serious pain by that point going through contractions 11 the next morning they finally did an internal exam which they don't tend to do if your waters break um just for fear of infection and when they did that internal exam she said ah I can feel some feet obviously I knew what that meant straight away he was either was the wrong way up feet down and there's no way I was going to push a baby out that was the wrong way up so they signed me up for an emergency c-section which I was actually completely on board for. You know, when she said I could feel his feet, I knew immediately that was the best thing, best place for us, the safest way that our baby boy was coming out. So, you know, I was happy with that decision, except for it took a while for us to actually go into the theatre. I was hooked up to a monitor and you can see at that point when your contractions are happening on the sort of graph, which I don't know whether you had it, but I actually really enjoyed that bit. Not enjoyed it, but found it really useful because I could see when it was coming I could see the peak of the contraction and I knew that was the end of that and it would be better for a couple of minutes they had to call back actually a doctor to come and do the cesarean because during my contractions I was asked whether I want to sign up for a study a study about why babies come early because I think I was 36 plus 6 I qualified for the study as a result they had to call back a special doctor who was doing the study and he was so grateful that we signed up for it because I think only five people in three years had signed up had a cesarean it was amazing really quick yeah I was born amazing um, so you mentioned at the beginning of the story that you were quite set on having a natural birth yes. and that was originally obviously birth plans are well they're birth plans they don't always things don't always go to plan but you mentioned that, that that's what you wanted that's not what you had but your your baby was delivered in in the safest way for you yeah. and for baby yeah. did you feel a sense of disappointment did you feel happy with that decision I wouldn't change any of it. I absolutely think everything happened the way it needed to happen. I'm really glad I experienced labour. I didn't do the pushing, but when I got into the cesarean, I was nine centimetres dilated. So I was sort of one off from pushing. So I'm so happy that I experienced the labour part because it's an incredible thing that your body does um, when you learn about the different muscles that are at play and, you know, how incredible women are, how our bodies are so incredible that they know what to do. I just find that fascinating. So yeah, I'm really grateful I experienced the labour. I had a really positive experience with my C-section. It wasn't what 
I had envisaged would happen. It's not what I planned for. I really wanted everything to be as natural as possible. I wouldn't change any of it. I, I really loved every second. I think we both did the, the Positive Birth Company yes. online course, which we both, I would really recommend because, as do. you say, it's very informative in terms of explaining what happens during childbirth. And at the end of the day, it's your choice. It's really just informing you so that you feel that you have the knowledge to consent to different questions that you might be asked throughout your your labor and on kind of any period that you're in the hospital so so yeah I would I would I would really recommend that of course once I was born in those first days and weeks what was the thing that surprised you the most or or the kind of the biggest learning perhaps maybe biggest adjustment so um in the various things you read and the NCT courses and things like that you learn about the baby blues the uh, yeah. the hormonal changes that happen after you've given birth and how that might affect your mood and before having either I was you know I thought that's not going to happen to me but oh my god did I have the baby blues for <laughs> a few days <laughs> I was so sad and it was ridiculous I would look at Ivor and I'd think how much I loved him but that would make me so sad it was mm. an extraordinary thing to explain. And I would tell my husband, I'd look at Ivor crying, crying, feeling so incredibly sad that I loved him so much. And my husband couldn't understand it at all. Mm. I don't know how you would understand it unless you've gone through it. But yeah, the mm. big news hit me much harder than I thought they would. I really didn't think it would affect me. Yeah, I think obviously hormones play such a big part in that. There's you know, this couple of days and weeks postpartum. And I think a lot of it you because it's linked to hormones, it's it's unexpected. And, you know, when you're thinking of why you're doing it, you, you can't really explain it. And as you say, it is that feeling of intense love, but also just sort of over, overwhelm, whether it's overwhelm about kind of what you've been through, whether it's the overwhelm that after, you know, nine months or, or almost nine months, you now have little infant that you're responsible for. And I, I think hormones on top of that adjustment is just generally, you know, a bit of a shock to the system and, you know, having a cesarean and and for many, a natural birth as well, the sort of stress that your body has been under as well. It is is a period of, yeah, of adjustment and it is very overwhelming and a lot of it is is the way you feel is very much out of your control. So I totally agree. And and I was very much the same. (laughs) Obviously, this podcast is really focusing on finding your tribe and your identity once you've had a baby or kind of throughout pregnancy. So I'd love to hear a little bit and understand kind of how your your social groups or your close friends or your kind of the, the dynamics that you have with with friends and family might have changed since since you've had since you've had a baby. I was actually lucky that a couple of my very good friends had babies at a very similar time. Actually, my best friend from school, her baby's four months older. And so she was sort of going through things before we were going through them, doing her own research about different things, you know, in terms of what happens during pregnancy and birth, but also what happens when a baby's one month and two months and four months and, you know, what milestones they're meeting. So because she was a little bit ahead, it was invaluable to me for sure in terms of having an idea of what was waiting for me, what was coming. And it was just really nice to be able to speak to her who'd experienced these things not so long ago and could still remember what she did at that time when we were going through them. So that was actually really amazing. Um, 
Equally, we did NCT. I met a group of, sort of six really lovely girls who had babies around the same weeks as we did. And I think that was also invaluable from a different perspective. Whilst my friend had gone through things four months ago, these girls were li- literally living in the moment, same moments that I was living in with a baby, mm-hmm. uh, r- bouncing things off them, speaking about how they were problem solving and troubleshooting, mm-hmm. various different things was incredible and it and even just to say I'm not having a good day you guys having a good day and for them to say no it's really hard and and we're struggling with that thing as well I think is just amazing and and you know you might have 10 school friends who are having babies at similar-ish times but I don't think anything beats having a group of people around you who are literally going through the same minutes and moments that you are at that time so I found that really really helpful even if they're not friends for life you know they're yeah. they're resources that you have in that moment who yeah. you can be vulnerable with as well which I think is really important definitely and so so I mentioned at the beginning that we met through the app peanut yeah. what that was obviously during our pregnancy what what led you to the app did someone recommend it and and also what were you I guess what were you hoping or expecting to get out of it yeah so um one of our close friends she had a son during COVID actually so he was a COVID baby and as a result she didn't have NCT or bump and baby or anything like that and she couldn't meet people very readily because there were the COVID restrictions so she went on on um, Peanut and she made a good friend who's actually now her neighbour and I remembered her talking about that and when I was pregnant and sitting at my desk at work thinking about my life to be I thought, why not? Why don't I go on Peanut and see who there is around um, who maybe I could be friends with? Because whilst I have those couple of friends from school with babies, that's that's it. I didn't know anyone else. So I thought, nothing to lose. I might meet somebody nice for a coffee or, you know, maybe make a long-term friendship, which I feel, and I hope you feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> I um, do. <laughs> so yes, uh, and also Peanut, whilst it is for meeting people, there's also discussion threads from all over the world and I found that really interesting again just another source of information bouncing ideas off people that kind of thing so that was really interesting as well whilst um, I was pregnant reading those threads yeah absolutely and in terms of obviously now you're a couple of months down the line and hopefully past those kind of baby blues and sort of looking to the future do you have any advice for expectant mothers or those in that just postpartum period who might be feeling lonely might be kind of wanting to find solace in friends any ad- advice in terms of people who are sort of looking to uh, reach out to other mums and make friends and things I would say even going up to somebody in the park who has a baby women who I've met with children are so open to speaking to anyone really who has children to discuss their experiences you know making friends I've enjoyed making friends with people at baby classes that's an amazing thing to do I did uh, various different classes over my maternity leave with Ivor and I met some really amazing girls um, some of whom you know I'm still really good friends with and we still see each other and it's something to do something to get out of the house it's hard work staying inside it's really hard work looking after a baby um and just being able to know that tomorrow and going out just for an hour or two hours or I'm going to go meet somebody for a coffee really changes I think your mental attitude to um what's going on you know it's 
things are better when you have someone to go through it with um, yeah, yeah absolutely a problem a problem shared is definitely a problem halved if not a problem solved kind of off the back of that what has surprised you about motherhood the amount of love I have for my son is just out of this world crazy didn't know that you could feel like this about a tiny human being who doesn't give you anything back it just takes <laughs> <laughs> well he does now but yeah now, now more so yeah, when they're when they're tiny, it's that is I can't believe how much I love him. But in terms of sort of things I've reflected on recently, actually, that I wish I could go back and tell myself is just to not worry about what your baby should be doing, or what society says your baby should be doing at a certain point. You know, I spent I was three weeks early, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, he wasn't that early. He was just a little bit earlier than most babies are. But that made a big difference to when he was reaching those early milestones. And I spent a lot of time worrying that he wasn't doing what he should be doing yet. And in reality, you know what, babies, they'll, they'll do it all. They, they just mm. take their time, you know. And the same goes for even recently, weaning, for example, because I was lucky enough to breastfeed him. And recently I spent some time worrying about how on earth I'm going to stop breastfeeding. And actually, he seems to be doing it naturally himself. So mm-hmm. I would go back and tell myself, you know, don't worry, trust your body, trust your baby. Nature knows what it's doing. We don't need mm-hmm. to rush these things. Or I certainly didn't. Obviously, there are some, I'm going to caveat, obviously there are instances where you do need to make changes ahead of mm-hmm. when you want to for I don't know, medical reasons, work reasons, anything like that. But if you don't need to, just don't worry about trying to get to a place that you don't need to be at yet. That's mm. what I found myself. Just trust in the process, trust your body. Mm. It's insane. Mm. And no, it's very true. And kind of back to your point about the, the love you feel. It's weird because people always talk about it, like the love for your children and how intense it is. But it is true. I think even when you're feeling it, it's it, it's it's quite surprising. It's you know it's super intense, all consuming. And and as you say, I don't think anything can prepare you for it. Even though people say it all the time, nothing and like nothing can really prepare you for for those feelings. That's definitely great advice. I wonder, kind of, what has surprised you the most throughout this period? How much my life is governed by sleep. <laughs> and sleeping and will will he sleep tonight how long will he sleep for what time should he go to bed yeah what time should his naps be I think you sent a funny meme the other day about (laughs) a mother is always doing maths you know if you have to be here by this time but he needs to be asleep by this time but also at least have been awake for this amount of time (laughs) like it's constant constant I'm so surprised that sleep is at the forefront of my mind as much as it is yeah, it has dominated our lives, hasn't it? Somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> looking to the future, what moments are you really looking forward to? Speaking, for sure. I can't wait for Ivo to start speaking, sort of being able to hold a conversation. I think that would just be so wonderful because he blabbers now and they're not words, but he's clearly thinking and saying mm. something. So I can't wait to hear what he's actually thinking. Yeah. That's really exciting. And walking as well. He's not walking yet, but he'll just turn into a, a sort of another little person when he's walking. Um, yeah. Definitely. No, I think I agree that they're really exciting milestones. I think also just to hear, hear their voice. Yeah. You know, like when it forms a sentence. I think, yeah. Yeah. Excited for that. 
So Ancestors is a period care brand and I always ask my guests a little bit about things kind of aside from the main topic. So I'd love to know if you have any insight or anything to share on menstrual health. Yeah, I would say when I started tracking my cycles, the amount I learned from doing that was really surprising in terms of understanding which different hormones are at play at which time during your cycle I mean we must have learned that at school at some point I obviously didn't pay much attention to it nor had I been that interested in it before yeah but once I started learning about it and and actually natural cycles is I think really really good in how it tells you about different hormones and um, gives you insights into about what's happening in your body once I started learning about that I was it's fascinating we are incredible human beings nature is like just crazy but yeah it's so interesting learning about the different hormones what that might mean for your mood what that might mean for what's happening inside your body that kind of thing so I really recommend tracking cycles if people don't do it yeah you might learn as much as I did which is loads because I clearly didn't pay attention at school (laughs) you say at school but I think what I have learned professionally and personally especially through this podcast I think there is not anywhere near enough sort of education around our bodies and menstrual health yeah women's health as we know it's massively sort of under-researched and underfunded so I know one may hope that there would be more education at school but actually that there really just is not so I think anything we can do to kind of further everyone's understanding or knowledge about periods and cycles and how it impacts your your day-to-day is yeah super super important mm-hmm. moving on to sort of the end of the podcast there's a couple of different sections the first section is quick five questions no right or wrong answer just so that listeners can get to know a little bit about you. The first question is your best parenting hack. Okay, so I haven't tried this one, but somebody told me once, if you have a girl, if you put the, at nighttime when they're very small, if you put their nappies on back to front, they will catch more liquid. Ooh, interesting. Amount of sleep you're currently averaging a night in hours? Seven. Pretty good. (laughs) favorite quote or motto or affirmation trust in the process great that's a good one most embarrassing parenting moment (laughs) probably my water's breaking it at the printer at work (laughs) yeah to be fair that started things off uh, as they mean to go on i think (laughs) the next section is questions it's impossible to answer so what does a contraction feel like so for me it was at the front, sort of where your ovaries, you might think that your ovaries are that sort of area, really, really intense period pains on steroids. But then equally, I know people who've had serious back labour as well. So I think everyone's different. Yeah, it is. It's an impossible question. How painful is it giving birth? Again, impossible to answer. So really just sort of from your experience for for, for listeners' kind of interest or intrigue, it's funny because, well, I did the labour part. The cesarean was painful because it was surgery afterwards. But the labour, I would say, was awful at the time. Wanted it to stop. Was screaming for everyone to make it stop. In hindsight, though, I loved it. We'd do it all over an instant. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. I have dreams about being in labour. <laughs> and happy dreams. 
Amazing. The final section is Mythbusters. So I will say a sentence and you can let me know if you think it's true or false. And then I will I will tell you. So having your legs up during and after sex will increase your chances of getting pregnant. Um, false, but I definitely did it. <laughs> yeah, it's false. Uh, there is no current evidence to suggest that there is a connection between the two. But as you say, people still do it. And I think, uh, you know, if, if it's a kind of placebo, then great. Okay. This one is slightly more relevant to you. You can get pregnant while still breastfeeding. Uh, uh, true, true. True, exactly. So even though ovulation and hormones required for menstruation are suppressed by breastfeeding hormones, you can get pregnant as soon as the menstrual cycle starts postpartum. It's totally dependent on each individual as to when their menstrual cycle returns. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so interesting and eye-opening and in many ways reassuring that we all share such similar feelings. The really sad thing is often we feel that we're alone at all, but we're just not. I know when we first met that we said making friends as a new mum isn't anywhere near as scary as it may have been pre-baby because it's not just you anymore, it's you and a little one. So sort of any rejection you feared, the, the blow is softened and I, and I still feel feel the same. So for anyone listening who feels alone or isolated or could just do with some more mum friends, do hop on to Peanut. But if this isn't your thing, local councils also have some fantastic coffee mornings for new mums. So do take a look and find out about these in your area. Any questions you have on today's episode, please send them in. I hope it's put some of your minds at ease and made you realise that we are all vulnerable at times, but that a problem shared really is um, a problem halved, if not solved. So, so do go out and find your tribe. <laughs>